being a fool is entertaining for others. Don't confuse what the crowd is cheering for. This is the Yoakum Strength Podcast with me, your host, Austin Yoakum, and producer Marcus Sawson behind the scenes. This quote leads us to our guest today, Zach Elder. Zach is the Director of Strength and Conditioning and Sports Skill Acquisition at Max Strength, a performance center rooted in making and working with the best baseball players in the area. Zach continues my dive into kind of the baseball world and my recent obsession with this and trying to implement what I'm seeing in other sports into my sports and just trying to break out of the the typical mold that all football coaches are in or just all powerlifting coaches are in and that type of things and trying to break the mold and just getting a little bit of outside perspective on things and I got to go and actually watch Zach coach a session. He, he's like 20 minutes away from my actual gym and got to see really like a lot of awesome things that I actually implement myself into my training. And this was just an awesome conversation about how he wants to create athletes that are able to create and create athletes that are able to come up with movement solutions to the problems that they're going to see. We talked a lot about how many people are so focused on the biomechanical aspects of strength conditioning and how that is moving the field forward and how that is important. But now we're kind of missing the bigger picture of the situation and the environment and the things that the athletes are actually going through. And some of these things that are actually mattering, yeah, Zach mentions in the podcast, talking about how biomechanically I can create a perfect swing for somebody. But if it's in game seven and there's two strikes and two outs, how does that perfect swing hold up to that ball that he's just about to see? And at the end of the day, that's all that matters is, is it working on the field? And, is it leading to success? And he talks about kind of his metrics for is his program working and are we actually moving our athletes needle forward? And I just thought it was an awesome conversation on kind of how we actually mold all these things that we talk about and actually implement these things into a long-term program for our athletes. So we're getting adaptation, but we're also growing everything else that we talk about in the movement world and in the environment-based world that we talk about a lot. Thank you guys for listening. Hopefully you guys get something out of this. All right, well, Coach, welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to have you here. Thanks. I'm fired up. Yeah, we're yeah. set up in your home base over here, uh, Max Strength um, in Edina. It's a pretty cool place. I got to see how you work out with your athletes and whole session. Yeah, uh, it's a one-of-a-kind place, man. Um, been here for a while and uh, getting comfort, getting comfortable in the, in the facility as it changes and it evolves over the over the last few years, it's been uh, it's been a wild ride. We're growing fast. We're getting a lot more athletes, baseball players, get more serious about training every year. So uh, it's been good, man. It's been good. Yeah, you said the uh, the COVID change kind of you, you moved the whole uh, weight room up into our podcast studio that we're using today. So it's kind of all moved up. Yeah, yeah. The weight room has changed shape, size, and shape probably three, four times over the last few months as we get more and more guys who, uh, after the forced time off, they realized they need to take their training really seriously and they're trying to get more and more in. So we got more guys who need to be in here. Um, so we needed, uh, we needed to change shape and size as much as we can. So we're working damn near 24 seven, man. Yeah. You were telling me your schedule seemed pretty, uh, pretty intense. Do you want to, do you want to tell the listeners kind of how you got into this intense schedule and why you buy in so much, kind of how you got into the world of sports performance, how you got into this whole baseball world that you're in now? Oh man. Uh, it's, I, I like, well, like most strength coaches, I got into it when I was in high school because I wanted to be jacked, you know, um, you get interested in the world of bodybuilding and then, uh, it evolves from there. I went to play college ball 
at St. Leo University, which is uh, in Tampa, Florida, for those who have never heard of it, which is most people. Um, I played a little bit at Concordia University here in St. Paul as well. Um, while I was playing, uh, I struggled with a lot of arm injuries. Um, I had elbow injury when I was a kid. I had the, the avulsion fracture um, in the elbow, which is also known as Little League elbow. And then I had uh, a lot of joint pain in the elbow when I was in college. And I couldn't find any answers. I was working with doctors and athletic trainers. And um, I even had a, a scope surgery done. And after all of that, I couldn't really figure out a way to get it to stop hurting. And I finally went to my strength coach at the time. Um, and funny enough, it was him who it seemed, at least from my perspective, that it took him about three minutes to figure it out. Um, he was the first guy who looked at my body like a full system. Everybody wanted to poke around on the elbow. Uh, he was the first guy who looked at my shoulder and the first guy who looked at my rib cage, and my breathing mechanics and uh, the way that my spine could rotate and my cervical rotation in my neck. And he's like, yeah, your elbow is not the problem here. You know, you have no rotation at your shoulder and your neck's a mess. So your elbow is doing everything. And that's why it hurts so much. And that's why you have so much joint pain. So I was able to play pain free for a couple of seasons, but I, the damage was kind of done. So my last year was kind of a grind. And I guess, I guess to answer your question about how I found my way into the schedule, because of the fact that I was constantly spending time doing extra things to try to keep myself healthy, I, I would say for the last six, seven, eight years of my life, I haven't really known anything else. Uh, the, you know, the only, the only thing I know is just constantly working on something. You know, I, I have people give me shit sometimes cause I can't not be doing something, you know, can you just relax? And I'm like, uh, I don't know. Can I? <laughs> so, uh, dealing with a lot of those injuries kind of put me into that headspace and the habit of, I'm always trying to do something to get better at something. Yeah. And if kinda, that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And it, I think every kind of successful coach that I brought on or coach that I've really liked talking to has been brought into the strength conditioning world because the strength conditioning world has given them something, you know, and it's yeah. kind of changed that, that lens of you. And you, you went through the whole process of like, probably people are telling you it was something people telling you, you couldn't come back to sports, people telling you all this crap. And then you have finally have somebody in your life. That's like, Hey, like, this is the issue. We can actually fix this. We can help you with this, or at least make it manageable. And now we move forward from that process. And I, I think that's really cool. And it probably helps you a ton with the, the athletes that you work with now of dealing with these injuries. Definitely. Yeah. I, you know, and unfortunately the, the little league elbow is something that's somewhat common, especially in talented kids. So um, I've had a couple of kids who've gone through that and it's, you know, I, I, I guess nothing about that situation is really good, but if anything is, if anything is um, redeeming qualities, the fact that I've been through it, I can tell them I've been there and I can honestly, I can kind of deal with, I can help them tackle the emotions that come along with it. Cause I've, I've been there and I've felt it. Um, I think uh, when you're a kid and you're talented at a sport, it's really hard to not identify with that sport really heavily. So when you're 14 and suddenly you can't play baseball for an entire summer and your social status is you're the best 14 year old baseball player in your school, suddenly you feel like, you know, of course, 14, you, now that we're grownups, it sounds stupid. You're like, you're just a kid who cares. But at the time it seems like your whole world is shattered. So helping them, I think helping them psychologically with that after having been through it myself is is just as valuable, if not more valuable than my ability to help them physiologically with it, you know, through the, through the rehab process, it is what it is, you know, um, learning strength and conditioning things so that I can help them get stronger and I can help them avoid it happening again. That's great. But if I, I, if I can't take care of their psychology, then they're not going to be able to really commit, you know, they're not gonna be able to feel like themselves again, once they are healthy. 
Yeah. And that, that ability to almost put yourself in their shoes. Like you said, like talking about 14 year old and like, it sounds silly now that we're older than that, but like in that moment, like that is their world. Like that, that is what's happening to them. Exactly. And for you to be able to step in and be like, Hey dude, like I've also felt this, I've gone through that. This has kind of been my pathway. I, th- I think it gives them some like glimmer of hope through that process. Yeah. And I think, I think honestly, that feeling is, I think all of us coaches, who played sports. There's a lot of coaches who, who didn't play in college. They decided they wanted to be a coach when they were in high school and they went and got educated and they've been coaching that whole time. But I think a lot, like I didn't really, I mean, I was coaching when I was in college a little bit. I did like the internship thing, you know, but I was playing and I was still, despite the fact that I, you know, looking back, man, I was, I just wasn't that good, but I was still holding on to that pipe dream. I was going to be a pro baseball player and I'll coach when I'm done. And I think, if we don't acknowledge the fact that we coach because we have our identity so wrapped up in athletics, at least a little bit, if we don't at least acknowledge that a little bit, I think we're lying to ourselves. So I think, I think it's important to wrestle with that at least every once in a while, because you see the psychology of that with coaches a lot, you know, guys talking about the hundred hour weeks, you know, the schedule, I don't think it's necessarily a brag, <laughs> you know, I mean, we do it because, it's what we do, but I don't feel like I need to pound my chest about it. You know, I, I don't want long-term. I don't want that to be my identity. I don't want it to be entirely wrapped up in that because at the end of the day, I think there needs to be more, you know? And I think when we have our, our whole identity wrapped up into sports and then we're done, you know, and it's like getting injured because it, you're never quite ready. Suddenly it's over and you're not playing anymore. And you're like, uh oh, you know who who am I and without this? And thankfully, as a coach, you don't really ever have to find out uh, until you really look in the mirror and you're like, "Wow, the only thing I do is sports." You know, is that is that all I am? You know, and so I think uh, I think we got to wrestle with that every once in a while. And I think helping athletes sort of wrestle with that as they grow up helps them be more well rounded young men. Yeah, for sure. And that I mean, I love that you brought that point out because that's been something that I've almost probably completely shifted my mindset on in the past year. Because like you said, when you when you're going through that sport and going through that process, it is like that is your world. When I was going through football, like that was my world. There was nothing else going on. And like you said, when that's taken away, then it's like, all right, now what is your world? Like it's not there anymore. Right. And this is where something like me as a coach, I think I can help a lot of athletes with is now because my focus for the past year is how far can I step out of the strength conditioning world? Like my job is strength conditioning world. My job is athletics. Now, how far can I step out of the strength conditioning world and explore things that I like to do and explore these things? And like my natural, like I've just been ingrained in the strength world. So when I say take a big step out for me, it's a big step out, but it's probably for other people to like, shut up, dude, like you're still <laughs> in it. But right. the, the, the fact that you can take a huge step out and the biggest things that I've learned about strength conditioning and the biggest steps that I've taken forward as a coach have come from other fields, have come from other passions and other things. And what ha- that helped me kind of flip my head, like my mind on is like, you don't have to be grinded in that like one world. And I think the more that you are grinded in that one world and just stuck in that world and world, the more you are stuck. Like you are going to be doing the same program, the same thing with the same athlete, like, and never changing, never evolving, never really fully growing. And I think being able to take that step out and realizing like, oh, there is, there are other things in the world. Right. And now you kind of get a different light and a different shift and a different angle to look at the strength conditioning world at and be like, man, some of the things that we do are kind of stupid, but we're doing them just because we're so stuck in the rabbit hole. Like one of the things like that's so popular right now is talking about how sprinting, if you want to get fast, you got to sprint. Sure. And to me, it's so silly that 
in 2020, this is what we're talking about. <laughs> it's like, yes, if you want to get fast, you need to sprint. Yeah. But because we've been so far in the field of lifting weights, doing these things that like, that is a revelation in the field. Like, and which to me, it blows my mind is like, what, what, it, like, if you take an outside look, like somebody outside looking in at this is like, well, duh, guys, like you guys yeah. are dumb. Like, what are you talking about? Of course you have to sprint to get fast. And that's just another, like an example of like, be, everybody's so stuck in the world that yeah. it's, the progress is stuff. Well, it's funny because, you know, we, uh, we love to debate ourselves in circles in that, in the strength world. And I think, I don't know, I think about it a lot because I'm, I'm pretty active on Twitter and, and sometimes strength and conditioning Twitter turns into an absolute dumpster fire. You know, I mean, I think anybody who's on there knows what I'm talking about. Um, but I, I honestly, when I look around, I see that, in, I see that in the business world, you know, I'm obviously here in the private sector and I see some of these athletes, these four, I guess, former athletes open businesses for training and they do that. And it's the, it's turning everything into a zero sum game. I can't be right unless somebody else is wrong. I can't win unless somebody loses, right? Like it's, it's an, it's almost an inability to acknowledge the, the possibility of a positive sum game of any kind, because like you said, like coming from the world of athletics, if that's the only thing you know, that's the, the lens that you see life through. Win or loss. So if like you winners, win or you lose, there's yep. no in between. If I won, that means the other team lost. If I won, that meant the other guy, the other guy lost, right? And I and they they start to see everything through that lens. And it, and it's funny if you again if you start reading or learning from people outside of the world of strength conditioning. A lot of I like to read uh, blogs from a lot of the Silicon Valley entrepreneurs, tech people. Right. And I, a lot of it, the specifics of it are over my head. I'm not a, I'm not a computer engineer. And sometimes they'll get into specifics and I'll skim that part. But the 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 the, philo the philosophies of the way that they approach their businesses are what's most interesting to me. And a lot of them will preach. You need to avoid as many zero sum games as you can. Peter Thiel um, talks about if you're looking for competition, you're going to compete yourself out of a market. Right. And it's when we debate these concepts you're going to debate yourself in a circle. You just, we just dig a hole. Right. And it's nobody wins in that scenario. It's like, it's yeah. If you want to get faster, sprinting is obviously a good thing to do, but you know, every coach's situation is different. Every coach's constraints are different. You know, sometimes you really can't sprint. I mean, we're sitting here in my gym. I don't have the space to run full sprints. Nobody's getting up to full speed in here. So how do I train speed? I got to get creative. And if I want to waste my breath debating somebody on the merits of sprinting or not sprinting for speed, what does that gain me? Nothing. You know, I'm not going to really be able to sprint full speed with my guys anytime soon until we find a uh, more space or until we turf the parking lot. I mean, hell, right. So what do I gain? Even if it like, what am I going to prove him wrong now? Nah. Yeah. You know, and you're just wasting the energy that could be used doing yeah, something else I mean, way more productive. You know, I can be productive with my time. I don't have to turn everything into that zero sum game, you know? Um, and that's, I think, I think that's the psychological game that we, as former athletes, we all play with ourselves is your competitiveness gets the best of you. Yeah. And, and, and that's something like you brought it up is a lot of strength coaches are the former athletes and what has got them to this point today, you know, like what is, and that's, that's where it gets tough is, Expect, you see it in the sports world a ton too, is you, you try to go into a room of football coaches that are all, <laughs> I mean, for to be in a football coach, that means their entire life, they've most likely been an alpha. Like if they're a good football coach, they've been an alpha their entire life. Yeah. That not being wrong, being correct in their head, in their world is what got, is what has gotten them to where they're at today. Absolutely. You come into that room and you try to tell them they're wrong. Like, yeah. good luck with that. You know, like, and I think that's interesting is the point of like all of us, most of us growing up have 
gotten to the point where we, we've gotten to being athletes is is that zero sum game and is that like just grind and work harder and continue to do these things and once you like really take a step back it's like whoa like mm-hmm. is that actually what happening or is that just because that's worked for you in the past and did it work to you like was that the best path or did it just get you to where you're at and you you felt content with that and now you're using that like old model of life for this new model that you're trying to live yep absolutely and yeah. now now we're uh we're in the gym that you talked about and talking about the sprinting and talking about the space. And I think this is something that I'm really interested in. And we, we talk about my slow pitch softball game all the time, but you're kind of your broad picture approach to training actual athletes, not slow pitch softball players, but actual <laughs> baseball athletes and kind of what you value in here, what you value in the skill acquisition side of things, what you value in the body and movement side of things, how the field's kind of getting these things wrong and kind of where you want to take the field of the baseball training. Yeah. Well, baseball is interesting because um, there is a, there's a lot of training right now in the baseball world that, um, has a very, very heavy biomechanical emphasis, a really heavy influence from the biomechanical world, which is, I think is a net, it's a net positive. It's a good thing that people are acknowledging the role of more detailed biomechanics. But I think where a lot of people are missing um, in, in the baseball world is they aren't paying respect to the environment as much as they could or should in a lot of cases. Um, and I guess what I mean by that is I'll see a lot of, I'll see videos that people will break down, um, on their blogs or on their pages of a swing. Um, and it'll be a very intelligent breakdown of the biomechanics of what's happening in front of you. And it'll be very well written. It'll be eloquent. It'll be correct. But at no point do they really acknowledge what the game situation was that it occurred in, who the pitcher was right-handed or left-handed. What was the pitch? What was the count? What was, you know, how, how many runners were on base? Where was the game being played? What was the weather? Right. And I don't, and a lot of those things sound like, well, what the hell difference does it make? Um, And, you know, some of them, maybe none, but you, I think if you're not at least acknowledging it, I think you're missing the mark a little bit. You, um, the, the bigger ones that are obviously going to affect the biomechanics of any movement are going to be more direct ones, pitch type, you know, uh, the pitcher being right-handed or left-handed, um, the pitch location in the strike zone or not in the strike zone, I guess, in a lot of cases, um, the count of the, the particular at-bat. Those are the things that are obviously going to determine it more. If you're looking at a big leaguer, the surface they're on is probably pretty consistent. There's a, there's more than more than likely it's pretty close to the same every game and every park, because those guys are dealing with something that's um, pretty, you know, the highest level of field maintenance you can get. Right. I guess the only, the only time it would change is if they're playing in a significant rainstorm. Um, and that doesn't happen all that often. But if you're looking at college or high school, the surface makes a difference, especially guys going from, maybe a really poorly maintained dirt field to a turf field that's going to affect their swing. And I think if you, if, if you're not at least acknowledging it, when you're looking at the swing, you might be missing something. Now, once you acknowledge it, maybe you find that it didn't make as much of a difference as it could have. Um, and then you can move on. But if you don't at least look, if you don't at least check, you could be missing a big, a big point, right? You know, you look at a guy and you're like, man, that swing doesn't look so good. And you look for the reason it broke down. Maybe it, the, it wasn't a bad swing because, the swing is bad. Maybe it was a bad swing for the moment. Maybe it was a bad swing for the pitch, right? Like there's a lot of guys that will take a swing that looks shitty and they'll get a hit because they're, they're ass out on a curveball and they'll flip it over the second baseman's head. 
Is that a positive result? I think so. Right. And so creating athletes that are willing to willing to explore and they're not so uh, they're not so wrapped up in the biomechanics of their swing. They're not so worried about doing things, quote unquote, correctly. And they're more worried about being good at sports. Right. I, I, I sarcastically will shout that at practice a lot. Uh, hey, guys, make sure you're good at sports today. Because it's try- I'm trying to get them out of their own head a little bit. I we call them rubberneck hitters. Sometimes the kids who will take a swing and then they'll turn around and look at you. No, they'll, they'll eyeball you, and you can tell they're waiting for some sort of feedback. And they'll I even you even have kids verbally say like, "Was that good?" And I I will never answer that question. I will always answer it with another question. Well, you tell me, man. You know what do you mean? Was that good? You can't tell. You know what are you trying to do? Uh, hit it. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, man, like. If you're waiting for me to tell you what you're trying to do, then you're just not paying attention. Like, I'm not going to carry you and set you down in the box and, you know, put your batting gloves on for you. Like, you're the athlete here. So you have to pay attention to what's going on and you have to pay respect to what your what your goal is here and what you're trying to do. And you decide whether or not it was good. And that's the that's the respect to the environment that I'm trying to build as a coach. Um, nothing can exist outside of this environment. So I'm trying to make sure that they understand, like. I'm constantly trying to accomplish a task and the environment is the thing that's changing. I'm not trying to take a correct swing. I'm trying to hit the baseball as hard as I can in that direction, you know, whatever that direction might be for the situation, for the pitch that happens. A lot of times it's obviously not conscious, you know, baseball is unique in the sense that, um, you know, in football, when we're interacting with our environment, no no objects in the environment are ever going to move faster than we can react. No, no, you can see a, a, a person running in baseball, at least theoretically, you can't actually see the ball for part of the time it's traveling towards the plate because your eyes can't communicate with your brain that fast. So when we're talking about a correct quote unquote swing, what that really looks like is we're putting into a situation to have your perception be wrong and still accomplish the task that you're, that you're trying to accomplish. You know, if you, if, if you have a swing that is, incorrect. What that essentially means is that you're putting yourself in a position where your margin for error is extremely low. You know, your, your timing has to be exactly perfect. Otherwise you're going to miss other, or you're going to miss hit it. Right. If you miss, but if you're, if your swing is in a place where you can miss time, your contact point by, you know, a foot, you're still going to drive the baseball. You know, that's, that's the best hitters in the world. The most consistent hitters in the world are, are like that. And that's the model that you, you always see the biomechanics uh, modeled off of is these guys movement. Um, but in reality, a lot of times those guys, you know, they, they are perceiving the environment as it happens and what, whatever happens is almost unconscious. They're, they're just putting themselves in a situation to be as close to correct as they can be. But the, the times when you're perfect are rare, you know, and you, you see, that's why a big leaguer, who hits 40 home runs in a season where he gets 600 at bats is exceptional, you know, and how many of those were actually perfect. I bet half, you know, so, um, moving, trying to move away from, from the the chase of some sort of perfect movement that, that model of this perfect, pretty swing, because the second anything changes in the environment around you, now it's wrong. 
you know? And so everything has to be correct for the context that it's happening in. Yeah. And the, the, the pandemic of like, fix this and that like, fix you, it. Yeah. You, you, you mentioned with the athlete is like this. I mean, even like in my own gym and this is with football and rugby guys, like you'll have guys come in and like, I need you to fix this. I need you to like, and it was like, like you said, like, I need, I need you to not be fragile. Like I need you to be adaptable to these mm-hmm. situations because there's like, I can, like you said, and then you said it with baseball is like, I can put you in the perfect situation biomechanically to hit this ball off the tee or hit this perfect fastball I'm throwing with the machine, like whatever you want to talk about. That pitcher comes out and throws it in a different way, in a different lighting, in mm-hmm. a different setting. I, it doesn't matter about how perfect that looks. Like, yeah, now you gave me a paycheck because I fixed it in when you were with me, but now you're on the, you're on the baseball field and it's not working. Like you're not winning the sport that you want to win. And it's the same thing with the athletes that want the perfect sprinting form. And, and I love, dude, I love, these athletes that come in and they they've had their perfect sprinting <laughs> form. And these coaches have taught them, they've sat on the ground and worked this arm swinging mechanic. And like they freaking they one, they run and look like robots. I mean, they're, they're yeah. so stiff and they're so like thinking about what to do with the body. And then two, we'll play a chase, a score game and they'll get toasted. And I'm like, well, how, how did that arm, that 90 degree arm help you in that situation? Oh, it didn't. And I was like, yeah, exactly. Like maybe we just like focus on, what we need to focus on which yeah. is being adaptable and non-fragile athletes. And right. that was something I loved walking in with. And you, you talk about, you just want to create that creative athlete. Mm-hmm. And, and I walked into the gym before the podcast and I watched one of your sessions and you were talking about having your athletes doing your athletes were doing um, a set of like 10 pushups, but every pushup had to be different. And yep. that is something that I, I would love to hear your thoughts on because it's something that I do a ton. I just talk about like get spicy with the variations of, making sure everything's different. And that's where my head is too. It's like, just get them one, get them out of the mindset of like, all right, I'm your coach. And my job is for once in your life to give you ownership over what the hell you're doing. Because yeah. the entire, most, a lot of guys that I get, like I tell them like, Hey, this is yours. Like you get to do it. Like, what do you want to do? And they'll just stare at you the blank face. Like, <laughs> yeah. uh, I've never had to do that. So like, I'm interested in like, what you see because it's i don't think it's necessarily the push-up itself that you're trying to get out of it like what do you see like what's your reasoning for giving them that kind of ownership yeah no i like i really like what you said about make it spicy i'm gonna use that line i think um to me to me the the variations and acknowledging uh an ecological dynamics approach in a weight room is that's the intersection between adapted and adaptable to me I want my guys to be adapted. That's why we have strength conditioning, right? I'm trying to, more or less, especially for a 16, 17 year old, I'm trying to turn you into a different person over the next few years, right? I mean, we want to be adapted to a different body type. We want to build muscle. We want to get stronger. We want to have our nervous system uh, work faster. We want to be able to activate more motor units on command. But I also want that all of those adaptations to be able to exist and live and breathe in as many different contexts as we possibly can. So, you know, in my warmups, my warmups are almost always chaos. You know, they're, they're guys trying to figure out these, these movements that I'm giving them. And they're, I get, I do get a lot of deer and headlights expressions for guys when guys are new, you know, I'll say like, make them all different, figure it out. And they're like, wait, what? You know, um, so like the example of the pushups, you know, when I think about um, specifically the shoulder, especially the the shoulder being arguably the having the potential to be the most mobile joint in your body. Um, the the idea of having a rigid set of rules for pushups with your own body weight, it just doesn't make sense to me. What are you telling me that I'm not going to train the tissues of that joint 
in any other angle, right? So there's the adapted piece. And then the adaptable piece is, is guys have to solve a problem that I've given them, right? I'll be like, here's the problem. If you do a type of pushup with your hands in a certain position, you can't do it again. And you got to do nine more, right? So they're, it's, they're thinking about solving this problem that I've put in front of them. Um, I love using that with crawling things, right? I will tell them, you know, here is the rule. Your chest has to stay two inches off the ground. Get over there, you know, and they'll, they'll solve that problem in whatever strategy they want or not, you know, in a lot of cases, you know, but, but opening that up for the opportunity to, to try and fail different solutions is, is important to me because I don't, I don't ever want to have an athlete find himself in a situation where he's interacting. And this is really relevant on defense and baseball specifically, you know, um, you're fielding the ball or if you get a bad throw and you don't know how to move your body in strange ways, you've taken a lot of opportunities and affordances for movement off the table, right? If my movement toolbox as it was, is not very broad. I don't, I only have a handful of solutions to any problem, right? Uh, if everything if you, all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? You know, so I want to give my guys as much, as many tools as they possibly can have movement wise. I want them to be as confident as they are, as they can be in just about any situation, the environment and gravity puts them in so that they can solve whatever problem they might find themselves in. And, um, so giving them more general problems to solve is, is my way of strategizing that. Um, the, the interesting things is sometimes, you know, sometimes they crash and burn. Sometimes I overshoot their ability to problem solve. And that's, you know, that's, I'm, I'm sort of doing it to myself in those situations. You know, I'm like, okay, well, that's, that, that didn't work. Or I'm my, my language wasn't clear enough, or it was too clear. In some cases, you know, the way that I speak to them is a constraint in and of itself. So I try to be careful about how many instructions I give and what they are when I do give them, um, when I'm describing those activities. You know, this, these things with respect to environmental things and movement variability is, I think, when I was an athlete, uh, the missing link. I, I was a weight room warrior, like many guys who ended up being strength coaches and I, you know, I won all the conditioning drills and I was the strongest guy. And I, when I hit it, I went the furthest, but I didn't hit it often enough. I wasn't good enough on defense. And I'm like, why, you know, I don't feel like I'm a good mover, you know? And I didn't know how to solve that other than just getting more, you know, if I get stronger, I'll get better mover. Right. And I did, I got stronger and I didn't get better. (laughs) So it's, I, I, I'm trying to avoid, I, I preach it to my guys all the time about not worrying too much about what their max is on any certain lift, you know? If I don't, I don't give a shit if you can deadlift 500, if you suck, (laughs) you know? And, and so I would much rather a guy, his max is deadlift. He can deadlift 400, but he could also deadlift 300 in about 55 different positions, right? I want to be able to generate that force in just about any position he might find himself in. You know, that to me is a much more useful athlete. That's an athlete with a hell of a lot more broad movement spectrum available to him to actually go and do sports. Yeah. And the, the confidence of being able to get in those positions that you mentioned is something else. And the other thing I want to mention is you talked about, and this is something that I've noticed a ton is when you give that variability into their training and the, the options into their training, how much it kind of just opens up. And I, to me, it's just like, especially like coming in like day one, you'll see kind of this like soulless, lifeless, like athlete that comes into you. And it's like that robot, like they get their sheet of paper, they got their structured warm up, they got everything like point A, point B, point C, like we're rolling through. And yeah. it's just like, 
here, zoned in, locked in. You tell them to do something like outside the box or like, holy shit, I'm scared, like I'm coming. And a month or two in of this creative stuff and even just like starting the warm workout with some of this stuff, like how much that opens up an athlete Mm -hmm. for the work that's going to happen after to me has been game changing. It's like now they're talking now. Now they're thinking of different things. Now they're asking questions and like, why are we doing this? Like maybe we could do it this way and that type of stuff. And I think it's so like, like play is so huge in that, like Mm -hmm. in some aspect if we're able to implement that play that most of these people have been, they haven't had almost their entire life. Like it's been taken away and now you're giving it back to them. They're like, Oh, I like this. Like, I like this feeling of play. I like this feeling of doing this and moving and just feeling my body. And now I'm, now we're able to get so much more done for that rest of the workout, even for the the meatheads that don't want to like, they still want to squat. They still want to do these things, which I, I still do. Like I'm still a meathead at heart, but like now you're, you're getting even more out of that stuff that you want to do because you're a meathead. Yeah, definitely. You know, I, back, I was first getting introduced to uh, most of these concepts uh, when I was working as an intern at Concordia St. Paul uh, under Rich White. And uh, it, we started implementing it with football and with soccer. Um, and those were those were the sports that I mostly um, was around when we were implementing them. I think um, they started to get implemented with baseball and softball as well, but um, I didn't work directly with them. Anyway, um, I remember Sean Mishka coming out and hanging out with us for a day. And I know Sean is a mentor of Rich's, um, who is, or both mentors to me, shout out emergence, by the way. And we were doing some of that with the soccer team. And I remember we would just sort of sit back and observe as, as we let him go. Um, and that was a new concept to me, you know, because I was used to getting coached and I was used to coaching a lot, you know, and uh, we would just watch them solve problems as we set, we would set them up in small sided games and we'd give them scenarios to solve. And I remember Sean making a comment um, to Rich and I was just, I was just existing in the room. You know, I was an intern. Nobody cared what I thought um, yet. Yeah, those guys did a really good job of letting me learn by doing though. Um, but Sean made a comment to Rich and he said, you know, I love this. They're, they're all smiling. They're laughing. They're, they're, they're playing, they're, they're learning and they don't even know they're learning. And I, that stuck with me a lot because I was like, okay, I think I might have a, 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 a checkpoint, a metric to, you know, if, if I can get, like you said, if I can get away from that, like soulless look of an athlete coming in and they just want to be like pushed through and I can give that back to them. I think I, I think I've given them what they need. I think I've given them everything that they need. And now it's just about bringing that back into the environment. Every time they train with me, every time they come in and they train, I'm trying to find that again, I'm trying to find that, that smile and that, uh, that creativity and that play that we all have within us. I, I just, softball you mentioned i i played slow pitch softball for the first time ever <laughs> yes. uh the other week and I, I i thought to myself um you know there was a lot of kind of nerding out about about calibration and sensitivity to new information that went along with that but i also thought to my you know that's the first time in a long time i've played anything just for fun and i learned so much faster i think because of it because there was no pressure i was just i was having a good time playing and I picked it up, I think, a lot quicker because I wasn't trying so hard to do it right. I was just enjoying it. And I and, and because of that, because of the positivity that, that was wrapped up around that, I think I was much more sensitive to um, whatever information I was going to find. Because I, I, in an odd way, I almost wasn't actively looking. Um, I, I just allowed it to organically happen. Um, yeah. And I mean, I mean, that's something that, that the, the slow pitch softball thing is something that I love that, that you brought up the other day. But it's like... 
I think it's so important for a coach to just go out and do something like that just for the sole reason of seeing how little some of the stuff that we do matters in, <laughs> in like the grand scheme of things. Like, Oh yeah. I, I'll, I'll talk about like um, hitting a new deadlift PR in the uh, just training in the day. And then I go and have a, uh, a softball game that night and I sucked ass and I was, <laughs> I was terrible. And it was like, and it wasn't necessarily, it, was, it wasn't fatigue, but it was just like the, the eye opener of like, what, like, if that deadlift PR correlated from point A to point B, which some coaches still swear by, I mean, there's so many out there that are like, yeah, if you increase this, and it was like, and you're just looking at all the things that are happening to your body, you're, you're feeling the, the, the mental pressure of people looking at you, this, the processing the situation that's happening in the game, seeing everything that's actually happening. And this is slow pitch softball, the lowest level of competition that you're going to have. Now, <laughs> times that by a hundred when you're playing in front of 20,000 people in a football game that, a lot of like a lot of pressure is on you and you're thinking mm-hmm. you're making a lot of decisions that are mattering like and now you're going to tell me these things are the only things that matter and like you, you see it a ton like with these these coaches that'll say this is what matters this is what matters and i, I like talking with jake tour because he's like all these coaches like i just don't tell him like go play basketball like go dunk a basketball tell me does that carry over can you go dunk a basketball right now can you go play softball right now can you go do these things and be good at it because if you swear by this if this is your thing and you're taking your poison and now you go and play the sport that you're asking your athlete to play and you suck at it or mm-hmm. it, it's not carrying over. Like then maybe you look at your own program and be like, oh, shit, like I was wrong there. Like this, this isn't carrying over the way I think it is. Yeah, I think I, we do. We hate to realize just how hard it is to actually move the needle. You know, um, I, uh, I hate I, I, it's, it's blasphemy, but like I haven't I haven't back squatted myself in it, it, six, seven months. And prior to that, it was months before the. The, the prior back, last back squat session before that, you know, if I'm going to squat, it's some other variation that I just want to do more. I'm not, I, I, you know, for personal reasons, I'm not married to any one exercise. And I, and I think I have to treat my athletes the same way. I, I don't need them. I don't need my uh, high school pitcher to be a really good back squatter. I want him to be proficient enough that he can go out into his college career and not get left behind in his team training sessions. But once I've reached, once I feel I've reached that level of proficiency with any of those basic lifts that I expect he might have to do when he goes to college. And so he can have long-term success. I'm not as concerned about it anymore. I, I definitely feel um, that the, the, I think most coaches will acknowledge that there's a point for all athletes that is strong enough, but I think it happens a hell of a lot sooner than we want to think. You need to learn to apply your strength in a really short period of time in most sports, you know, um, the, uh, I think I, I wish I had gotten a chance to coach a stopwatch sport, uh, in, in my career and maybe I still will. Uh, but I think that that is the ultimate kind of litmus test of how, how much is your training really moving the needle performance wise, um, in those raw numbers, you know, it, it baseball itself is, is this weird sort of hybrid because the, the raw output matters. Right. If you throw harder, you're more likely to have more success. At the very least, you're going to turn more heads and you're going to get more looks. Right. It's hard to get recruited to play Division one baseball if you throw 82. Right. You're probably going to need to throw a certain threshold of velocity before you get anybody taking you seriously, no matter how many guys you get out. Right. Because that's I, that's the way it is. But once we've 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 established a certain level of output, we got to fill in the gaps as soon as possible. Right. And, and if we can find a way to have that be as concurrent of a development as we can, we can develop those things at the same time. That's ideal. Right. And so um, I, I think that I think that we we might not move the needle as much as we think we do 
with the weight room. I think we have to play around the edges of the box as, as soon as we can. You know, we, we, we need to fill in some of those physical qualities. And I tell you what, I get plenty of athletes that are crazy weak. And that's that's the first thing we tackle. You know, um, it's you have to make adaptations. But if I can try as hard as I can to make those guys adaptable along the way, then I think I've done my job. Yeah. And that's where I think, I mean, if you've, if you heard me talk about this at all, it's like just bringing up the law of diminishing returns mm-hmm. and like, what is your weak point? And that is where like, and this where you talk about, well, if you have weak, if I have a weak athlete, I'm working on strength with them, you of know, course, and yeah. it doesn't mean I'm going to cut out all the other creativity stuff. Cause I still, I still value that, but like, where's your law of diminishing returns. And what, what we see is like, they, they, they're so obsessed with taking that squat from 500 pounds to 510 that they're spending so much time and so much energy. And this was me like spending so much of my, self into getting that improvement and sure you got that improvement sweet but you could have spent all of that time doing just a tiny bit of effort and all these other things and Mm -hmm. the the amount of return that you would have got out of that would have been insane and the amount of return you got from that 10 pound squat increase is nothing like Mm -hmm. it didn't apply anymore so again finding where you're weak at and for many people that's play many people that's strength but like Mm -hmm. actually knowing and understanding and i think it comes back to like why are you actually doing this? Like, is it because the athlete's weak or is it because you like seeing your squat numbers go up so you can show them? And it's hard to show them why that crawl is implementing, like why that crawl is helping and why some of this chaos-based training, like there's no metric to show like they're more creative other than the anecdotally that athlete comes back and says, all right, this is working on the field, which is what matters because if they come back and say it's working on the field, hey dude, like maybe we should do more of that. Yeah, you know, it's the metrics to measure the level of, um, the level of ability to really play sports are they just they they take longer they take longer to show their face you know my metric for my guys being a really successful uh, creative athlete is the level that they play at is the the batting average that they finish their season with the um, how many innings they miss because they were sore tired or injured you know obviously minimize those you know um, for a handful of guys, it's what round did you get drafted in? You know, there's a good way to measure it. You know, uh, that bank account, if it got drafted high, right? I think we just, we got to be patient. And then there, there are metrics that we can find to measure some of those things that transfer. Because, it, you know, at the end of the day, can you play or can you not? You know, the, the number two, one, two draft pick in the NHL a couple of seasons ago couldn't do a single chin up. He's making a hell of a lot more money than I'm making. Right. And he's fucking good at hockey. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And and I guarantee you, he doesn't care that he can't do a chin up because he's playing in the NHL and that's what he wants to do. And he's scoring goals and he's good at hockey. So now would it be better if he could do chin ups? Probably. Right. He's probably going to be less susceptible to non-contact or contact injuries in his shoulders and all that nonsense. But is it the thing that's going to make him good at hockey? Probably not. Right. So it, we're moving the needle with any strength work we do, but we have to acknowledge what we're moving the needle on. You know, I would say for an incredibly talented springy bat speed baseball player, I'm moving the needle with strength work. I'm moving the needle on injury prevention. I'm protecting him from himself. Right. I've, I've had a few guys in here where they, they could roll out of bed and squat 400 with their genetics. Right. So my training is basically keeping them from injuring themselves with their own output. You know, if you're generating that much, that much arm speed, you're throwing 90 just genetically. Well, now my training isn't like my training is not going to make you throw 95 necessarily. It's going to allow you to throw 95. 
because he was going to throw 95 Regardless. without me. Yeah. But my training is going to give him the opportunity to throw 95 without breaking. Right now, some guys, that's not the case. Some guys aren't gifted like that. And some guys, your training is going to move the needle. They're going to make them throw harder. They're going to make them run faster, but you got it. You got to pay attention and swallow your ego about what your training is actually doing to each individual guy. You know, the, the guys who, the guys who desperately need me are probably not going to play as high of a, as high of a level as the guys who only kind of need me. And that is probably going to be the case for the entirety of my career. Right. My, my job is to make sure that I just give them whatever they kind of need. Right. And they don't, they don't know the difference, especially if I build a positive relationship with them. Right. Cause I don't, I mean, I don't care how much, you know, I don't care how many good, uh, how many, how many good drills you show them to use, how much strength you give them. Um, if they don't like spending time with you, they're not going to want to get coached by you. Right. So fostering positive relationships and just giving them what they feel like they need is, is the thing that's going to help, uh, me move the needle on the right thing for those guys. Yeah. Which is one of my favorite things coming in here and just seeing like you interact with the guys and being something they like, they like hanging out with, because I mean, that's, that's my training sessions, the the way you were bullshitting with the guys and the way you were messing around with them, like having fun and like giving them some shit on some things, but then being able to take a step back and be a coach. And that like the way you ran the session is exactly the way I run my sessions. And sometimes I think like, well, is that too bad? And at the end of the day, it's like, like you said, if, if they don't like you as a person, they don't give a shit about what you say, what you mm-hmm. write on the piece of paper. And that's where you see like, a, like, it comes back to that ego as a coach is like, if you come in there trying to big dick, like maybe that works for a week, maybe it works for two weeks, but there's no way that athlete spends a lifelong like session four years, like however long you have them with you, they're not going to listen. It doesn't matter how much you know, like they're not going to listen to you and they're not going to buy in and they're just not going to want to hang out with you with who you are because you're trying to be somebody that, they know you're not like that, that ego filled coach. Like that's not who you are. You're just pretending to be that you're pretending to be more important than you are. Like to be able to take the step back and be like, all right, this is my role. Let's help guide them through this. Absolutely. Yeah. A hundred percent. I, uh, it's a cliche line about, you know, they don't know how much you don't care how much, you know, until they know how much you care. Um, and it's, it's true. And it's not even, even about caring. It's about just enjoying your company sometimes, man. It's, uh, man, I to, to be honest with you, I think no matter how much passion you have about performance stuff, no matter how much passion you have about uh, learning the process and the anatomy and the, you know, the training things, the specifics of that, if you don't enjoy that part of it, you're going to you're going to fizzle out. You're going to burn out real fast because, you know, I mean, it, the nature of the job is that if you're going to help a lot of people, you're going to be working a lot. So if you're not having a positive time during those times, like it's, it's, it sucks, dude. It's a death sentence, you know? And I think a lot of coaches have experienced that for sure. Yeah. And I think to bring it full circle from the very start of our conversation, where we talked about taking a step out of the strength conditioning field, like that's where this applies. It's like being able to take the step out of the X's and O's and the sets and reps. And you see a ton of young, and I know a ton of young strength coaches that are so stuck in that mindset that they just have no idea. Like, what that athlete is going through. Like you're talking about, you were giving the athlete shit about like what he was eating and going through these things like that. Like if you're not talking to him about that type of stuff and like what their actual life is like that, that sets and rap stuff, man, it doesn't matter. And until you're able to close the strength conditioning book, which you need to know, like you need to have the base understanding. I'm not saying like, don't know nothing and go into this and be buddy buddies with people, but close the strength conditioning book and then read something else that gets you out of like that world mm-hmm. and gets you into the, what is actually happening in reality and life and, like your athletes around you. And I think that's, gonna, that, that's so important. And I think that's a good spot to 
kind of transition into the rapid fire rounds of the podcast. And you, you were mentioning about how you were, you're ready to prep for these. So, so I'm excited to hear your answers, but the, the, the first one is kind of what's your favorite book or books that you think the listeners can get a lot out of? Uh, man, I, I, I guess I have, um, I guess I have a few. Um, I, I just, I recently read zero to one by Peter Thiel. And I think, um, for any, anybody in the private sector, especially, but I think anybody in the, anybody who wants to get a lot out of their, their career, I guess it, there's a lot of concepts in that, that that need to be understood. Um, uh, I really thoroughly enjoyed that one. And I feel like I, I got a lot out of it. Um, understanding about av- avoiding competition and creating, um, your own monopoly of, of what you're doing. Um, I, I, one of my biggest takeaways from that one was, you know, um, not trying to follow anybody else's lead as much because at the end of the day, the, the thing that I am best in the world at is being me because nobody has ever been me before and nobody will ever be me again. And there's that's and nobody can be me right now either. Cause I'm me. So nobody can do it better than I am doing it because I'm the only one who knows how to do it. So really embracing that and uh, not trying to do what other people are doing um, to make a living or to make uh, an impact um, and really just finding my niche um, and just loosening up a little bit, especially like with social media, for example, and, and what I what I choose to like put out is my, I guess, I, I hate I hate phrasing it this way, but my personal brand, you know, for example, one of the things that I really like to do that isn't directly related to strength conditioning, I guess it's diet, but I like to cook a lot. So I've been posting a lot of uh, yeah, it looks dang, uh, by the way. Yeah, it looks really that, good. Yeah. <laughs> I've been posting a lot of Instagram stories of meals and cooking and stuff. And it's, it's super surprising all the positive feedback I get. Like I, I made, I made this joke one time about the starting lineup of all the seasonings on my steak. And I get people asking for the starting lineup like every day, they'll be like DMing me like, Hey man, what's the starting lineup tonight? You haven't posted it. And I'm like, what? You know? And I, and I'm realizing like I had read that book kind of while I was doing that. And I'm like, this is that, like, I am, I'm, I'm the guy who made that stupid joke. And now I'm like known in this small circle of people as that guy. Right. And that's cool. Um, I really, I, I like to learn from, from storytelling as well. I read a while back, I read shoe dog by Phil Knight. Yeah. I love that. Book. I loved that book. Um, I thought there was a lot of lessons to be learned from his story. Um, it, it, the, a big lesson that I learned from his story was it, it, the fact that, uh, he just did it. Like he, he didn't wait for the right time. He didn't try to like save up. I mean, hell, he, he was on the float financially for like 10 years doing that. Yeah. Right. He was working full time as an accountant or a financial, I think it was an accountant. And he just, he was like, I want to do this. So I'm going to do it. You know? And I, I think the fear of crashing and burning holds a lot of us back. And I, I get, especially if I'm stressed about other stuff, I'll get stuck in these head spaces where I can't make a decision at all. Right. Like it's even simple, stupid stuff. Right. You're, you're thinking like, oh, man, do I want to get coffee or do I want to go get an energy drink? Right. Like and you, you agonize over this stupid shit. Meanwhile, Phil Knight started a billion dollar company without any hesitation. He said, I'm going to go to Japan and walk and knock on the door of one of these manufacturers. And he just did it. Right. And I think we can learn a lot from that kind of attitude towards life. Um, I, uh, I I just recently cracked open four hour work week. Okay. I enjoy it so far. It's one of my um, favorites as well. So those, those last two are uh, two of my favorites. Yeah. That one's recent. Um, I, I also really a while back and I've reread this one a few times, but there's a guy by the name of Chris Moore. Um, he was involved with the barbell shrugged podcast. Um, 
and I haven't listened to the Barbell Shrug podcast in probably four years. But when I was first getting into training, it was a place where I listened. And Dr. Andy Galpin is involved with the, that group of people. Um, so it, that was, it was a great place to hear really knowledgeable people talk. But he wrote some books. And um, he, had, he unfortunately passed away suddenly. Um, and so they collected all of his writing into this, this sort of volume, the collected writings of Chris Moore. And it's there's a lot of different stuff in there. There's a lot of philosophy on life stuff. There's a lot of philosophy on um, meditation. There's there's psych- psychological development. There's there's philosophy on training in there because this guy was a power lifter. He was a former football player. Um, there's a lot of the same sentiments that I echo about a, a, a failed athletic career. You know, he was convinced he was going to play in the NFL, and then that didn't happen. I I reread that one a few times. Um, it's it's just it's an easy read kind of, it's not, you know, quantum physics and it's not discussing any real, um, specifics of any one idea. It's more a thought project type of book. And I, I enjoy that type of reading for sure. Especially when you get a little too inundated with details. Um, if you're rereading, um, science and practice, if you're, you know, you're trying to brush up on whatever and you get a little too inundated in, in details. Um, I know when I get overwhelmed with, uh, trying to keep up with Tyler and Sean at emergence on ecological dynamics, I'll be like, I need something more general here. You know, I'm trying to, I, my brain hurts. I'm trying to keep up with these really, really smart dudes. And, you know, I, I want to think about some philosophy, you know, I want to think about more abstract ideas instead of trying to, to learn all this information all at once. I, I want to digest something a little bit more, uh, general, I guess I, I, I reread that one a bunch of times and that one's not nearly as well known. In fact, I'm not even hundred percent sure you can still buy it on Amazon, but, um, I think they have a website where they sell it. Um, it's fantastic. That's definitely more outside the box for sure. I was going to say, I haven't heard of that one. So I'm yeah. for sure going to have to check that out. But no, I, lo- I love that, that kind of list of books and the entrepreneurship books that the two that you meant the shoe dog and the four hour work week is something I love just because it took me so far out of the strength conditioning world where they talk about like hundred hour work weeks, <laughs> grind, don't make any money. We do this for pride and like that type of thing. And like you read this type of stuff, you're like, Oh, wait a minute. Like maybe there's like, there's a different way to approach that. And that's just why I appreciated those books so much is like, it was such an out, like literally if there was 0.0 and like a 0.1, like the exact opposite, like points of where I was like the strength conditioning world before I read those books, it was all like, I was that dude. Like I was like, fuck it. Like I'm not doing it for money. I'm doing it. Like, and I read some of these books. I'm like, well, actually like oh, maybe man. like there's way more you can do if you, if you kind of go on that spectrum of things rather than like what you think you're doing here and just kind of lying to yourself about all this. So I love yeah. that you brought kind of those books up. And then the next kind of question, and, and you kind of, you, you mentioned that this one was kind of tough, but who's a guest that you think we should have on the podcast? Who do you think the listeners can get a lot out of? Oh man, I think I, you got to have, it, there's a couple of people that I don't know as well. So I don't even know if it's my place to say, but I admire them really, really highly from afar. Uh, the first is Bobby Stroop. Uh, he, uh, he owns APEC in Texas. Um, he is a guy, I met him uh, a year, uh, a little bit more, two years almost ago now. And I followed him really closely ever since. And um, he's somebody I really admire, both from a training perspective specifically, um, but also from a businessman perspective. He runs a very successful training facility in Texas. And he, and he is, um, you know, he's one of those guys I caught myself trying to model myself after to, after maybe a little bit too much, you know, you know, I, I'm, I'm thinking of maybe making a tweet and like, wait, would Bobby tweet this? <laughs> you know, so I admire him a lot. The other is Tom house and, you know, you're geeking out about throwing. Um, it, he has coached some of the best throwers in the world. Um, 
like I said, I, it's probably not my place. I've never met him, but uh, a couple of people that I actually know that I think you should definitely have on Rich White. Uh, he's at Starter Sports Training, but he's also at Emergence. Um, I call him my strength and conditioning dad <laughs> because I interned under him for a long time um, at Concordia. And I learned a lot of what I know right from Rich. Um, and I still I stay in touch with him all the time. And I'm bouncing ideas off of him. Everything from ideas about ecological dynamics and training to whatever the best flavor of Celsius is, you know. Um, so he he is a real uh, coach's coach and he's, he's the man, um, he's, and he's local. So, uh, he's definitely somebody you should have on. Um, and I guess it goes without saying, and I, I could be right. You might've already had him on, but Tyler and Sean from emergence, Tyler Yerby and Sean Mishka are both guys that, um, they are, as far as I'm concerned, they're the OGs. The they're the godfathers of ecological dynamics in my world. You know, they would, they would cite other people as the godfather. Um, but it, in my world, those are the guys, um, that I would go to first to learn anything about ecological dynamics and, and uh, dynamic systems theory. They are, they're both geniuses and they, I've, I've learned a lot from them and from their company that they started emergence. Um, they've got amazing material that they put out. So um, those are guys definitely I would highly recommend. Yeah. That's a pretty badass list. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> and next question. And this is kind of, maybe it's within the next year, maybe it's next week, maybe it's five years, but what's kind of next for you? What's kind of that next big step or goal that you're kind of striving for? Man, I don't know. That's, you know, you, I wrestle with that all the time. You know, um, there's, there's times when I'm like, yeah, screw it. I should just move to a different state and see if I can start my own business. And then there's other times when my, the thing that I, that's what's next is just let's try to expand max strength. And this is my career path for the next 10 years. And then there's other times when it's, you know, when I'm having those weeks when I'm like, maybe strength conditioning isn't for me. (laughs) 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 If you have never had that week, you're lying. Um, so I don't know. I, I wrestle that question all the time. Uh, right now I just, I want to teach as much as I can. I want to learn as much as I can. Um, I want to find ways to leverage my knowledge and who I am in ways that are going to build, you know, financial and intellectual freedom for me and for my future family. It, it, that's very broad and it sounds borderline cheesy, but that's, that's it, man. That that's, that's the capital I it, you know, that's, that's what we're all trying to do here. Yeah. Yeah. That's a pretty good answer. I like it. Uh, next one. And this is kind of when all the, the, the coaching stuff is over when the max strength's over, when that what next for you is over, but what, kind of do you want your legacy to be? What do you want people to say about you? I actually wrote like when I first, first tried to blog, I wrote a blog post about this because I think about this a lot. I think about legacy a lot because there's your life kind of happens in stages, right? I, there, you, I think we're all going to have multiple legacies. You know, I left a legacy at St. Leo, you know, maybe it's a a legacy that nobody really cares about, you know, but it it exists, right? Um, If you think about your father, your father existed before you did. He has a legacy to a lot of people that he hasn't seen in 40 years long before you existed, you know, and, and now his, and his legacy in the stage of life when he was a father, that's going to be me, you know, that's going to be, so I, I guess, you know, I, I want each legacy that I leave at each stage in my life to be that I'm left wherever I was at. I left it better than I found it. i left, I made some kind of positive impact um, whatever it was at each stage in my life, you know, I, it, 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 you close the book on certain versions of yourself several times throughout your life, right? The version of myself that existed when I was a competitive athlete, he's dead, 
right? He, he, he died. He's, I'm never going to be that guy again. Exactly. That guy. So, um, that that's, I left some kind of legacy there. Whoever I played sports with is going to remember that version of me. If, if I'm not close to them afterwards, you know? Um, and that's, it's an interesting thing to think about because, you know, I may not be a coach forever. So at some point, if I'm not a coach anymore then that version of me has died and there is a legacy left there as well. So, you know, and I, right now I don't have kids of my own someday I will hopefully. Right. And that will be a whole different legacy that I'll leave behind, you know, whatever lessons I can teach my son or my daughter to go out into the world on their own, kind of a heavier answer, I think, than most people will give, but it's something I, I definitely think about a lot, you know, and I think, um, I think you want each of those things to be unique in their own way, but you, I definitely want each of those things to be simply positivity. I want people to think back to that version of me and remember it in a positive way. You know, uh, and my, my, my football coach and he, he kind of made that connection too. is he's like an opportunity loss is never regained. And he talks about it in the moment as well, but he also brings it into that. The, the sense that you brought it is like, you only get to be that athlete once, you know, like mm-hmm. you only get to be in these situations once. And I like that you drew it out into like even your coaching. Cause like, let's say when you become a dad, like your coaching legacy is kind of over and now it's into your father legacy, you know, and like those next steps. And I think that's really important to talk about is like where you're at now, like that legacy that you're leaving now, like you're never going to get that opportunity again to leave that legacy. So make sure I think emphasizing leaving that your that positive legacy that you're talking about is super important. So I love that you brought that up. Yeah. And then kind of the last message on this or question on the podcast, and this is for sure going to be the latest podcast we've ever recorded. So I like it. 11, 17 PM. We're rolling over here. We're crushing, but the last question of the podcast, and this is, this is one that I really like hearing from the guests, but it's kind of your billboard message for somebody that's in the Valley for somebody that maybe has that injury that you're talking about. Maybe it's somebody that thought they were going to go to that pro baseball career and then had that chapter closed on their life. And we talked about a little bit at the beginning, but What's kind of your billboard message for that person to make sure they get out of that valley and understand there's more? I mean, that's that's a million dollar question, isn't it? You know, I, I guess uh, if we're using that that metaphor, it's start climbing and don't stop, because I think the the I think that it's a lie that we tell ourselves too that we're going to reach some sort of mountaintop and then we're going to get to relax. You know, oh, it's it's just about getting through this tough week and then and I'm good. Right. I just got to overcome this. Well, it's it's the, the peak of that mountain. You're in the valley. Your peak of that mountain is the beginning of another valley like that. There is no really uh, there's no there's no end to it. And I and honestly, I think some people find the flat parts of their life and uh, that that ain't it. Yeah. What is there to you just going to you're just going to coast? You know, I, I think the thing that we all want to strive for is to be able to create our own mountains. You know, we want to choose which mountains we get to climb. And, and, and I guess in the case of injuries, you, uh, you don't get to choose that one sometimes. But what we all want out of life is we want to choose which mountains we, we want to climb. Um, and I think the message for those people is you got to find, you got to start climbing so you can find the mountain that you want to climb. And then once you do, don't ever give that up. Yeah, that's freaking awesome. I, I I love that message of the, the keep climbing. That's I mean, that's like our whole country, company mantra is the whole like keep chopping wood. Keep chopping wood. I, mean, I love and, it. Yeah. And it starts to. I mean, it all makes sense. Like every, every successful person that's been on this podcast that talks about these things says the same exact thing. Like, don't stay in that middle ground because you're in that middle ground. Like, then that means you're coasting. If you if you're not feeling that pain 
or you're not feeling super high, like if you're not feeling one of those others, you're in that middle ground and get the fuck out of there because that is not <laughs> yeah. the spot you want to be in. And then just keep climbing through there. Like once you're feeling either high or low, like figure it out, adjust and go off at that point. But coach, we crushed it. We finished it up. This is, this is the latest podcast we've ever done. And I think it was a good one. I think we crushed it. Yeah, I think so too. Thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, thanks for being on. Thank you guys for listening. Keep chopping wood. Oh, 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 oh,